with us, we've been going through kind of a little mini-series after coming out of the Sermon on the Mount, um, defining some common terms of the Christian life. Uh, so we just spent a year and a few months uh, looking at what Jesus describes as a disciple, right? We, we, we look through the Sermon on the Mount, Saul, it's a description of who he is, it's a description of what he calls his people to be, how he wants his people to live, um, I mean, he, he tells us, right, to go and to make disciples uh, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching to obey all that I've commanded to you. And so we're, we were looking at that with a lens of, of how can we know how to be a better follower of Jesus? How can we help other people be better followers of Jesus? Right, because that's, that's our goal here as a church, uh, to develop devoted disciples, we want to be about our Father's business. We want to help people to grow to maturity in what they believe and how they live. Uh, we want this place to be a place where our faith and our fellowship create a family. Um, and we want to continue to grow and, and allow God to change us, to make us, to, to, to reveal in us His Son, that we would be transformed from one image to the next, to the image, image of Christ. And so we've been doing that, and then we came out of this, and I just thought it would be good to kind of define, you know, what is a disciple? And it's someone who puts Jesus first in all things, um, who abides with him, who rests in him, who trusts him, uh, who produces fruit, and that fruit reproduces, right? In many ways, I mean, it's, it's May, uh, dandelions are back, uh, right? For some of us, uh, other of you have gone scorched earth on your lawns, and they are not there, and... Um, you may have to repent of some thoughts you had about your neighbors who did not do that. Um, but in many ways, a Christian is kind of like, supposed to be like a dandelion, right? Those things, I mean, you drive around, you see there's lawns that have absolutely none of them. And then there's a lawn that has a few of them. And then there's a lawn that's basically all of them. And uh, we've spent how many years? Um, I mean, DuPont is just around here. They've created, you know, all the chemicals necessary to eradicate all the dandelions in the world, and they're still around. Um, I mean, those, those stubborn things, you keep, you could, some of them can just drink, uh, um, what's that chemical called? I forgot. Roundup. Yeah, you just, here you go, and they're like, oh, well, this is a really nice, nice shower. Um, you know, you pull them up. You, if you don't get the little tiny piece of that taproot in the bottom, they just sprout again. And then one day, they're up, flower, seed, dispersed. And they're just stubborn little things. And I think that's what God wants his people to be like. Just continue to produce seed, produce, send it out, send it out. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. Um, but its nature is to reproduce, and that's what we're called to do. And last week we were looking at what a church is. What is the church? Right? We're, we are connected to a great, huge, expansive body that expands all times and places uh, we are a people uh, called by God the Father, united in the Son, and sealed by the Spirit. And we are called to make manifest the kingdom of God. We are called to reveal, uh, uh, give a, a foretaste of what it means to, where the, to be underneath the rule and reign of God, where it goes forth unhindered, a, a taste of heaven here on earth. Right? So that's why on our tagline, we want to be a family, but a family in its truest sense. You know, a place where you belong, a place where you're accepted, 
a place where you're not rejected uh, for what you do, but you're, you're there, you're a part of it. I mean, my kids are always gonna be my kids. I may not always be happy with them, uh, but they will always be my kids. Um, and <clears throat> we are called to live, right? As we gather together and we scatter out. We, we, are, we worship the Lord, we go and we try to be dandelions, I guess. Um, and uh, that's our call. So out of that, next question is, what is ministry? Um, what is ministry? Uh, it's a, a term, I think, that's uh, often misunderstood, uh, right? We, we sometimes put this up, um, oops, yeah, we sometimes put ministry as this thing that I got to learn how to do. I got to, you know, I got to get a degree in order to to be a, a minister, right? And this, uh, this term, which is so much, I think there's some confusion around it, right? So if I was, if I was to say, um, actually, I'm going to ask that question a little bit. First, this term uh, ministry, right? Ministry uh, comes from a Greek word, uh, diakonos. Diakonia uh, just simply means this. Here, I'm going to read, this is, uh, the dictionary here says, service rendered as an intermediate, intermediate capacity and mediation assignment. Makes sense? Uh, performance of a service, engagement and preparations for a social event, functioning in the interest of a larger public service or office, rendering of a specific assistance, aid, support, and administrative function. Right? So you look at all of that, and what you, what you basically get is service. So the word we translate ministry comes out of this word, which means service, uh, right? We find this word in Acts 6. You know, most of us know this, this, uh, this uh, part of Acts where the church is expanding. Uh, there's a bunch of widows who are needing support. Uh, the apostles are gathering together, praying, seeking the Lord, trying to teach, trying to figure out what to do with this mass of people that are, that this new thing that the Lord's starting, like, okay, Jesus was leading us for a while. Now what's in our hands? What, what do we do? And they're coming together and, they're, and, they, and they gather a, a few men to help take care of some physical needs that are happening, right? Serving the widows. Uh, some widows were getting served more than others. Others were getting neglected and they're like, we can't deal with this. So gather some people, um, the bring them together to serve. And the seven deacons were elected uh, to serve the needs of these people. Deacon, that's the noun verb of this, this word. Uh, it means to serve. It's a servant. We gather seven servants to serve the people their needs, right? The problem is, is that, that most of us don't necessarily think of ministry as something that is intricately tied to me or as simple as service, right? If, if I were to say, who's the, who's the minister of Bible Fellowship Church? What would you think of? Me, right? Now, some of you smart, astute Bible students said everyone, and that's kind of, you know, where I'm going here. Um, but really, our culture has really defined the minister as the paid professional, right? Like, and this, this is all over the U.S., I don't, it's maybe in other countries too, not all of them. Um, but when we were in Nebraska, I was the minister of the church that I was a part of. I was part of a ministerial um, association. Here, I'm part of the Evangelical Ministerial Fellowship, 
What? We're, we're ministers. <clears throat> and that idea and that thought unintentionally, I think, distorts what God's vision for his church is. Right? When, when I'm here and I came here, I've candidated here, I made this clear, right? This is my calling is not to be this church's minister. Uh, I will not do a good enough job to serve all of you people here individually and shepherd in that way. I would not do a good job if I was the only one called to minister to this community uh, because I just can't do it. Um, I've been called, there's a job assignment that's been given to me. It's in Ephesians 4. Most of you have probably seen this or had sermons um, here. Uh, but Ephesians 4, Paul says, he, and he gave to the apostles the uh, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Right? Paul is saying, hey, here's all these people who have these gifts, who are called to be in leadership in the church. And what is their job description? To equip the saints. Who are the saints? Us, all of us. I'm, I'm included, everyone. The apostles, the prophets, evangelists, they're all included in the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. God's design for the church is that the group, the, the people who are called by God the Father, united in his Son, sealed by his Spirit, would all be ministers of his gospel in the world where they go. Now, I, don't, I don't think this is necessarily a complicated thing, but I think it's something that we miss. It's something that's, that's we know, we don't really know. We, we understand it, but we don't fully understand it. We get it in concept, but we don't necessarily let it live out in practicality. Often. Some of you are doing an awesome job. Um, but I think it's consistent in life that this is not something that we normally approach life with. My, my life is ministry. So as I'm going into the sermon, um, I'm going to just, as clear as I can make it, I got three things, you know, typical sermon, three, three points. Um, <clears throat> three things I just want to focus on. Uh, first thing is something I want you to know. The second thing is I want you to understand. And the third thing is something I want you to do. So know, understand, do. Uh, the first thing I want you to know is that ministry is service to God that brings someone one step closer to Jesus. So ministry is service to God that brings someone one step closer to Jesus. This is how I'm defining ministry. You could change that definition if you want, but for me, this, this helps make sense in my mind, right? So ministry as a word in the Greek simply means service. When you put it in the context of the church, it's service with a purpose. That purpose is that people might know Jesus. Um, and so when we start thinking of ministry as a service to God that brings, helps someone to bring one step closer to Jesus, it helps frame things in in our life and how we, we're called to do things. Right, so um, I'm going to put this on the screen. John 13, um, Jesus says this. I mean, it, John says this. He says, when he washed their feet and he put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. All right, so as Jesus is in the final hours of his life, he's coming together and trying to reestablish who he is with his people. There's even a fight between Jesus and, and Peter on this. Like, Lord, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. He says, no, no, I have to wash your feet. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior, kneels down and washes the disciples' feet, takes the place of a servant, and does this to them. And he says, look what I have done to you. I've done something to you. I've changed your understanding of what life in my kingdom is. It's to follow me. It's to do as I've done. It's to be me to other people. So you ha- you're blessed if you do this, if you wash another one another's feet. Right? We're in, and in that aspect there is a, is a service towards someone that's, that's gathering them close to Christ in a, in a very real way. What Jesus has done to his disciples, the disciples did to someone else. It reveals who Jesus is to that person. And it's bringing someone one step closer to Jesus. Right? This is God's mission for the world. John 20, 31 is, is that the, the world would know the Son and they might have life believing in him. And we're called to reveal that to people by revealing who he is, by walking in his footsteps. Right? So I don't think that's a, I don't think I have to argue this very deeply, right? This is ministry. It's service to God that brings someone one step closer to Jesus. So I just want you to know that. Um, Got it? We can move on? Good. Um, so the next thing is I want you to understand something. Uh, Say so there's one thing about knowing something. There's another thing when I understand something. Like when I have a, a real grasp of it. What I want you to understand is that ministry is the privilege. The privilege of every believer. Ministry is the privilege of every believer. It is the rhythm with which we are called to walk our life throughout all of our life. It's our privilege. You are the hope. In a very real sense, you are the hope of the world. Now, some of you are going, this guy is starting to speak some heresy, right? Because Jesus is the hope of the world. It's very true. But who dwells in you? Who dwells in you? Jesus. Whose hands and feet are you? Whose representatives are you? Whose ambassadors are you? And if you don't represent him, he's not going to be seen. And the hope that is in the world is going to be hidden, right? So we just came out of the Sermon on the Mount. We know this. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You don't take a light and you hide it under a bushel. You put it out. You yourself is not, are not the hope of the world, but Jesus in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And what does he say about our mind frame and how we're supposed to live? We're called to live with service, live like he is, live like who he is. All right, so I'm going to go through a bunch of verses here. I have them up on the screen uh, just for time. Um, just to remind you, right? So Philippians 2, 
Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was a form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The king of the universe, the one who owned everything, owns everything, holds everything together, rightful ruler, rightful one to reign, could just consign us all to hell, came down as a servant. And he says, have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Right? So Paul, 1 Corinthians um, 1558, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What is the work of the Lord? Ministry, service. That's the work of the Lord, service. Does it involve sharing the gospel? Yes. Does it involve being a servant? Yes. Right? And it's not, this isn't like the only place in the Bible, Right? And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. Whatever you do, it's, it's pretty not really very a limiting statement. What, whatever you do, right? Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your word. You are serving the Lord. So whatever you do, the service you do, it's actually service to the Lord. Colossians 1, 27 through 28. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This is our call. We are serving so that people may know Jesus and may become mature in him. Sounds familiar? Kind of like our statement of a mission here. And then finally, so whatever you do, eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Right? There's, there's nothing within our lives, any realm of our life, that is outside of our call to minister. I mean, Paul uses the most generic things in life to explain how you're supposed to serve God. Whether you eat or drink, I can serve God by eating and drinking? Yes. Whatever you do, every aspect of your life. And, and really, his, his call is to say that there's, there's no area in the Christian life where Jesus doesn't have ownership of. There's no part of your life that he does not want to use for his glory. Every aspect of our life, it's our, it's our privilege to walk in. It's our privilege to minister. It's our privilege to see him known in the world through us. Right? I'm I'm convinced that the church in America has not been as effective as it should be because it has not been thinking along these lines. Instead, we made this deal. Like this, and this is the unspoken deal. 
And I said, this is not a deal I'm making when I came here, so I'm not being inconsistent. But the deal is, church comes to, finds a pastor, says, you know what? We'll hire you. We'll give you our butts, and our butts will be in the seat. And uh, you, uh, you, you teach some good sermons, make me feel a little bit of bad about myself, but not too bad. Um, and uh, we'll just keep on going back and forth. You do the work, we'll pay you, I'll give you money, I'll have my life outside church, and, and that, that'll be good. We'll give you enough to feed your family, keep the lights on in the building, maybe a couple of capital improvements here or there. Um, but that's, that's kind of the deal. And we'll, we'll give all of our work over to you. That's a bad deal. Now, I'm not saying this is the deal that you guys have made with me, because one, I said this is not the deal I'm making when I come here. But it has been made throughout the church in America, and I think that we are where we are as a culture because we have made this deal. And people have been forfeiting a gift that God wants to give them to play a game or be in a social club called church. When in actuality, God wants to work through you as his church where he has you. God wants to work through you. He's given you a gift. He's positioned you. He's created you as who you are, faults and failures alike. Right? One of the greatest hopes for me every day when I wake up is that when God made a plan for my life, he accounted for my stupidity. <laughs> That's what it means when he's sovereign. We use these big theological terms. He knows all. Yeah, he knew about the mistake you are going to make. He knew about your tough week and your anxiety. He knew about it all. And it's part of his plan to reveal himself through your weakness. He knew you loved engineering, so he made you a rocket scientist. And he knew you were in that board meeting or whatever it looks like for rocket scientists to do what they're doing. I don't know. <laughs> and he knows the people that are around you. And he's working in you to make his life made manifest. I'm trying to get this over and over and over again. It's, it's not the big things we do for God. It's the little things. It's not the big events that we put on for God. Those are good. It's the daily, moment-by-moment -moment battles where I'm submitting to the new nature that is in me and not following after the old nature that is dead and not a part of me anymore. Right? I think... We often confuse big things as the important things in life. So that's why we see like Billy Graham crusades. Like that's the real ministry. And we don't realize all the watering and the seeds that were put out and everything that was happening to all those people who are coming to the Lord in droves by quiet mothers and fathers and teachers and grocery store clerks, and all the like who are working in God's economy so that one person can come together and bring a bunch of people into the kingdom. What works more important? Well, they're the same. 
There's no, no partiality. God's not elevating one over the other. He uses them all. Right? Paul even says, you know, one waters, one, one plants a seed, one waters. It's God that gives the growth. It's not about all this. Right? Our capacity for ministry is sourced in our relationship with Christ. Not our education, circumstances, or occupation. Our capacity with, for ministry is, is sourced in our relationship with Christ. We minister out of that. It's first and foremost, right? So all of us should be ordering our lives around this. Like we can't be everywhere all at once. I can't. I got limitations. You got limitations. God made you with limitations. It's a good thing. And he's given us relationships that to take priority, right? One is our relationship with him. Now for me, it's my relationship with the Lord. It's my relationship with my spouse, wonderful mother that God's gift, gifted me. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Wait, she's not a nut. She's a, a wonderful, yeah, I don't know. Spouse, children, family, church, vocation, world. And no matter where you are, you order your life around that. The people that are, I'm closest to are my main ministry. The people that I'm closest to, I'm called to serve. Like, I, I would be failing as a pastor if I wasn't serving my wife. I would be failing as a pastor if I wasn't serving my kids and trying to lead them and train them into what it means to know Jesus and follow him. You wouldn't want me up here in your pulpit. And those areas, those people have such a massive impact for the kingdom. Today's Mother's Day. What an what a appropriate day to be talking about this sermon. Because motherhood is service. Yeah, it's, it's a hard service. You have like 17 different occupations going at one time. And it, or more, I don't know. I'm, yeah, sorry. Three million, I don't, I don't know. We'll just throw that up there. But, um, and a toddler screaming for food, you know, like throw that on top of it. But what more impact can you have on the world than shaping a few children who shape a few other people who come into contact with who, who knows where the Lord leads them. And somehow we've, we've, we haven't elevated that role and its importance as it should be. Motherhood is a gift and a calling. Kids are our primary ministry. And pastors have just thrown that out the window because I'm, I, gotta, I got the ministry. I got people who need me. They got to call me at 2 a.m. I can't get up with that baby. I got to get up and do, do this thing and that thing. And then their children don't walk with the Lord. Their children don't know the Lord. 
Because what's been presented to them as the Lord is not who the Lord is, but someone who's cold and distant. Right? Again, our capacity for ministry is rooted in our relationship with the Lord, and it's our privilege, every single one of us. So I want you to know, understand, and then finally I want you to do this. Minister in every area of life. Right? Here's how my thinking is going around this. Right? If we know that ministry is service to God, bringing one, someone one step closer to Jesus, if we fully understand that that's my privilege to do that, then I'm going to something I'm going to do, right? So if I know that my lawn needs water, um, but I don't really understand it, I'm not going to water it when there's a drought and it'll die, right? If I know my car needs an oil change every five to 10,000 miles, depending on what type of oil you have in there, but I, you know, spend the next three years avoiding the, uh, you know, the tire shop, uh, and I put 60,000 miles on the thing, I may understand that I'm going to be stuck on the side of the road because um, I didn't really understand it. I understand that, that's, that all that lubrication is necessary for the movement of that vehicle. I'm going to make sure it's clean. It's taken care of. When I understand that this is my privilege, I wake up in the morning and go, Lord, what's my assignment for today? What are you calling me into? Now, most of us don't necessarily need more things to do. And some of you are going like, man, what is this preacher going to ask me to do? I'm, I'm not going to be asking you to do anything really more than what you're doing. I just want you to have a different perspective on what you're doing. Wait, all of us get 168 hours in a week. I think I did the math right. Someone can check me on that. But, you know, most of us sleep eight hours a night, or I don't know, I don't know, I'm not sure who sleeps eight hours a night. Um, there's a lot to get done. Uh, but let's say that we do sleep eight hours a night. That's 48 hours of that 168 hours, which leaves us 120 hours a week, right? And if you're not paid by the church, if you're not, um, you know, if you're volunteering here, you probably like spend about five hours volunteering in various ministries a week. And even that's kind of high. Leaves us 115 hours of work, relaxation, playing with kids. Um, and if we're thinking that little short little window of ministry is kind of volunteering here, which is necessary, it's needed. There's lots of ministry that can be done here. But if we're thinking that that's our only ministry, we're missing out on 115 hours of our life every week. Seems a little bit of a waste in the economy of God. When in fact that we could just be taking that 115 hours and going, this is my ministry. This is my ministry. At Wawa, at DuPont, at Gore, or farming a plot of land, doing a community garden, which we are going to have signups out there so I don't forget to say um, something about it. Um, right, so Mar Martin Luther even said this. He said, the idea that service to God should only have to do with the church altar, singing, reading, sacrifice, and the like is without, without, without doubt the worst trick of the devil. 
How could the devil have led us more effectively astray than by a narrow conception that service to God takes place only in the church and by works done therein? The whole world could abound with the services to the Lord, not only in churches, but also in the home, kitchen, workshop, and field. 400 years ago, this is the same thing we're fighting with. And he doesn't change his plan. What, I mean, what would it look like if you saw your vocation, which really that, that word means calling, like your calling as your ministry for the Lord? I mean, how much more impact could you have if you as a teacher, a teacher, got 25 students in my class, I see them every day, though I see them more than their parents do. And I took that and said, you know what? I'm going to treat this as my little mini church. They may not know you. Um, and I, I know there's some restrictions that I have. But what I can do in the quiet, quietness of my own house and my own, my own prayer closet is pray for these kids by name. And I can pray for opportunities that the Lord may give me to reveal who he is to them. I can be a kind voice when all they hear is harsh tones at home. I can, I can look for opportunities to invite them to church, to share with them about who I know, who's changed my life. And I can be consistent in shepherding these kids so that the Lord may do something in them. Right? I mean, this, this happened with a guy that you guys have no idea how much you've been influenced by. Uh, some, of here are, some of you guys know this guy personally, but Howard Hendricks is a professor at Dallas Seminary. Uh, one, arguably one of the greatest professors to come out of that school uh, who's impacted me, and I did, uh, he was dead when I started in the school. He, he wrote how all DTS students learn how to study the Bible. Well, anyone who's come through DTS and has preached a message, you have learned vicariously through them by that guy. And he came in a broken home in Philadelphia and it took a sixth grade teacher walking by. Well, this guy was in sixth grade uh, gambling with marbles in an alley. He said, hey, why don't, you, why don't you guys come to church? I said, okay, sure. And this sixth grade teacher invested in this person and didn't even see the full growth that the Lord had in him. And that sixth grade teacher just went out and just invited a kid to church, started ministering to him in a Sunday school, and he came to know the Lord, and God shaped an entire generation through him. Now, who has the greater impact? Howard Hendricks or his sixth grade teacher? Well, yeah, God. But they're equal, right? We share in the, in, in the increase, there's so much potential for your life. There's so much potential around you. I, I don't know what the Lord's doing right now. I know he's in the habit of doing new things. I know things are changing around our, our nation. And maybe things are going to be changing around the church. Maybe the church would get a, a hold of this concept. Maybe the church would start living ferociously on mission. Wanting to be the church to people around us, not someone holding up a sign saying, you're going to hell, or not someone just walking in and saying, hey, how you doing, John? I'm doing great. Have you ever heard about Jesus and all, all the, you know, let me tell you the four spiritual laws. Uh, no, just building relationships, looking for opportunities 
Yes, sharing the gospel with people. But the gospel is more than just words. It is lived out, right? Now, I'm not saying, you know, preach the gospel, use words when necessary. That'd be nuts. I think one of the classic Babylon Bee articles was, I'm going to feed the homeless, use food when necessary, right? Um, But we are supposed to do both things. We live it out, we proclaim it. We live it, we proclaim it. We pray, we seek the Lord, we draw from our relationship, we abide with him, we look for opportunities. And we see ourselves at the gas station, you see a single mother just trying to figure out if she has enough change to put a couple more, you know, half a gallon, a quarter of a gallon back in the tank, you know, depending on the price. You go, hey, let me take care of that for you. Why are you doing that? Well, I just know God loves, loves you and he's, he's just impressed my heart to give this to you. Um, so if you want to know more about him, let me know, but I just want to give this to you as a gift. And seek and see what the Lord may do through that. I mean, not to illustrate this anymore, but I'm going to illustrate it more. Um, I mean, Paul in Ephesians 6, he says this to bond servants. He says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling in a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good, with good, a good will as to the Lord and not to men. Right? Paul is seeing that People who are slaves, we've sanitized the word bondservant, have an opportunity to serve God and minister in their station and capacity. Which means that none of us are restricted. All of us have opportunity. All of us are called to minister. All of us are, are privileged to see the Lord work. So, Go, minister every area of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, for your son. We thank you for his life in us. We thank you for his example. We thank you for uh, your empowerment through your spirit. That you call us to minister, that you call us uh, to be your lights, uh, to be salt in this world. Lord, continue to conform us, continue to train us, continue to work through us. Give us a vision for what you want us to do in and through this church. In Jesus' name, amen.